for every 100 pounds of coffee and cherries that are harvested, humans actually consume uh, about three pounds. You know, the rest is, uh, you know, different material streams. And so like in this country, for example, we generate about 22 million pounds of spent coffee grounds every day. And it's, you know, it's scattered all over the country, but that's a tremendous amount. From Mumble Coffee, this is Coffee 101, your one-stop shop for building your coffee knowledge. You're curious about coffee, and Coffee 101 has the answers. Coffee 101 is the ultimate coffee know-how podcast. We're talking beans, roast, all things coffee, taking the mystery out of all those strange words, and solving coffee dilemmas so you can crush your coffee game. Season one takes you on coffee's journey from seed to shelf. If you haven't listened before, I'd recommend starting at episode one and going from there. This podcast show is meant to go chronologically, so it's going to build your knowledge from literally the ground up. On the show today, I'm joined by Professor Ristenpart. He is at UC Davis Coffee Center and I just wanted to geek out on the engineering of coffee. And so it made the most sense at this point in the podcast to talk about the engineering on the farm level and then in roasting. Dr. Ristenpart was integral at starting the UC Davis Coffee Center in the United States, and he is currently the director there. He also happens to be a coffee geek And so that made us instant friends. You may think with engineering that this episode's going to be boring, but it's not. Dr. Ristenpart made it very interesting, and I think you're really going to enjoy uh, this interview that I had with him. So without further ado, here's our interview with Dr. Ristenpart at UC Davis Coffee Center. Bill, good to have you on today. It's a pleasure to be here, Kenneth. Uh, like we said uh, in the intro, is from UC Davis, or is a professor there in chemical engineering, and he was a integral part of starting the UC Davis Coffee Center there. And today we are going to geek out on the engineering of the farm level and the roasting level of coffee. So I'm just going to let you start, and um, we'll just kind of go from there. Sure. So you just listed my favorite activity in life is geeking out on coffee. Yeah. So, so we're like we're like we're like permanent friends now. <laughs> Excellent. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so most of most of my research, my peer reviewed research over the past couple of years, is really focused on brewing. Um, but uh, you, you mentioned the coffee center. I'm the director of the UC Davis Coffee Center. Um, and it's a very holistic center. Yeah. So we have plant scientists, we have people in the law school, we have people in consumer and sensory science, we have people in sociology, lots of people in food science. Um, and one of the great pleasures for me is geeking out and learning on new things, including what you just mentioned, focusing on post-harvest processing of coffee. And right now we're starting a really big project uh, doing a deep dive into roasting and roast profiles. Awesome. Well, let's talk about the farm level or processing 
first. We have already had a few episodes, and we'll link those in the show notes on processing. Um, but let, let's talk about some of the some of the, the what I'd call the engineering of processing. Sure. I mean, so I'm not sure what your viewers or listeners are familiar with, but like uh, one of my colleagues and I, this last year, we published a paper doing kind of a deep dive onto using conservation of mass, okay, uh, which is a cornerstone principle for chemical engineering. It's basically keeping careful track of all the mass, all the weights yeah. in a complicated process. And we applied those tools to the standard washed process for making coffee uh, that you see in, like, you know, around the world, especially in Latin America. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, put in simple terms, the question we're trying to ask is, if you have 100 pounds of harvested coffee cherries, where does all that mass end up? Right. You know, so for us here in the States, you know, we see the coffee beans. If you're a roaster, you see the green coffee beans. Um, so you're familiar with that material stream coming right. in. Um, but there's a lot, a lot of different material streams of coffee. And a wet mill, if you've never had a chance to see one, the first time I saw it, I was struck. I was really struck uh, that it seemed very f- similar to a, you know, petrochemical facility in the sense of how complicated it was. Yeah. Lots of tanks and flumes and things, like very complicated, uh, that really most people don't have any good sense of how much engineering goes into, uh, you know, converting these coffee cherries into an export quality green coffee bean for us yeah. to enjoy. Yeah, because you have to have, um, you know, you've got to drop that, um, like, water content or that percent um you know, i think if i remember right it starts maybe about at 60 percent water or something like that and we're trying to get it down to about 10 or 12 percent for export and then um again off the top of my head and, and you may know better ballpark um you know if you pick a uh, hundred pounds of cherries you might get 20 pounds of green beans Dried green beans. Does that sound about right? You you clearly are a coffee geek because you're definitely in the right ballpark. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely, it's like the very first thing you lose is the coffee cherry pulp, and so roughly fifty pounds. You know, I forget the exact number on average. We we did a bunch of field survey work to find out what the actual truth of the matter was down in Central America, at least. And I think it's something about forty seven pounds is immediately stripped off stripped off as the fruit, and that's you know if you visit a wet mill, you'll see huge piles of cascara. Yeah. Cascara is named for that uh, fruit unless uh, discarded. Um, and then a huge fraction of it is uh, um, the parchment. Um, so at the dry mill that's stripped off, you lose a lot by water. So absolutely, the, you do drive down that water content down to about 10 to 12% in the green bean. Um, but then even up here in the States, there's also um, different material streams. And so anybody who roasts for a living, you know, you lose... 15% or so, right. of, uh, you know, goes up the stack uh, or as chaff, you lose mass there. Um, and then we carry it all the way through to consumption. So then when you brew, you also have spent moist grounds that are left over that are not consumed. So what we, what we basically figured out is that for every hundred pounds of coffee cherries that are harvested, humans actually consume uh, about three pounds. That's so crazy. Yeah. And the rest, and so, you know, the rest is, uh, you know, different material streams. Um, so like in this country, for example, uh, we generate about 22 million pounds of spent coffee grounds uh-huh. like every day, every yeah. day. And it's, you know, it's scattered all over the country, uh, but uh, that's a tremendous amount. And so that, that might sound very inefficient. Oh my gosh, only 3%. Um, but the way to think about that, and the reason we did the study in the first place uh-huh. is to really think about how can we improve the sustainability of coffee? And so 
you could just say like, oh, that's 97% waste. Or you could say that's 97%, you know, opportunities for creating new, you know, new products, new yeah. other ways of reusing that stuff. And um, I know, so, I know you've probably had Cascara and I have, um, and I really like it. I, I, I really like it. I think it's a good, uh, drink and, and I would love, and you know, it, I feel like, and maybe it's different, um, there in California, but I feel like there was a wave where Cascara was popular and then it kind of died down a little bit. I don't know. What do you think? It, no, it certainly didn't. Like there was big problems in Europe because it wasn't, uh, food certified for safety. Um, so one challenge for Cascara is that traditionally it does not go through a kill step. Mm. So, you know, to sterilize and kill germs. Right. Um, and so you have to be a little careful in how you're sourcing it. I suspect that the vast majority of your listeners who have tasted it have only ever tasted dried Cascara. That, that's right. right? Yep. So, and I'll just let you know that like fresh coffee, cherry pulp versus dried tastes wildly different. It's mm. kind of like the difference between a grape and a raisin. Right. And so it's kind of have a dried fruit, kind of oxidized Roman. And for me, um, you said you like, you just said you like Cascara a lot. Um, I don't personally, I don't really uh, like the um, kind of dried Cascara products I've had up here. Yeah. It's got kind of an oxidized off flavor that I don't huh. care for. But uh, we've been doing a project here at the coffee center. Um, we're writing up a paper right now for peer review, um, looking at using fresh, not dried, but fresh coffee, cherry pulp, the Cascara to make a jelly. Product. Okay. So we made we made this really fascinating jelly. That's that really tastes, cool. It tastes phenomenal. It's only three ingredients: just uh, just fresh cascara and lemon and sugar. That's and awesome. It makes, it makes a jelly, and let me tell you, this jelly packs a punch in terms of caffeine because there's a lot of caffeine Dude, in the. I, that is that is a that is a great idea. So where we are in Mississippi, um, we have muscadines. We don't, and we're not we're not at a at a elevation or distance from the equator for grapes um but we have muscadines and so we every year um make muscadine jelly and it's it's phenomenal um right. i'll send you i'll send you some muscadine jelly i, I need to come visit mississippi and you visit do your and uh, visit mississippi state i'd love to do all that yeah you uh, do the um well, so Cascar- one, thing, one thing your muscadines won't have though is caffeine uh, that's, so that's true yeah that's true so I think that's a great idea. And so I've actually never thought about um, taking it from the aspect of, okay, but it's, it totally makes sense from an engineering standpoint because this is what I learned in engineering. And, and my 101ers out there, y'all may not know this, and this may be a secret to some of you, but um, I'm a chemical engineer. That was my undergrad. So, um, so yeah, that's crazy. Um, so let's go on to the um, roasting process so tell us tell us some engineering stuff there sure so uh, you know from a chemical engineering point of view you know what do chemical engineers do we design ways to convert some raw material into a desired product and that's what a roaster is doing they're taking a raw material you know a green coffee bean and then doing some really complicated chemistry in the roaster yeah right? you might not think about it but man there's really complicated chemistry taking place inside the roaster and turning this green unpalatable kind of sour vegetal thing into a delicious coffee bean that you can then extract into, you know, a cup of coffee. Um, and so the way uh, my colleagues and I are approaching it is really thinking about it from a chemical reaction kinetics point of view. And uh, our goal, our goal, and it's a bit ambitious, I think, is to try to figure out what is the simplest kind of chemical reaction kinetics model that is going to be useful to help roasters 
figured out how to optimize various green beans for various roast profiles. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of roasters out there who are tremendously talented at this already. Um, you know, mostly from a kind of learning from trial and error point of view, right? right. And so what we want to do is put it on a more scientific, rigorous method. So that, for example, you know, so you have some green coffee beans come in. You do, you know, this is the vision. This is where we're doing research towards. You have some green coffee beans come in. You do, for example, a titration to measure the titrate oil solutely in your green. Maybe do a simple assay to measure the sucrose content, mm-hmm. right? So um, a lot of people don't know this, actually. Like green coffee beans are actually about 8 to, to eight to 10% sucrose. That's sugar, mm-hmm. right? There's, yep. there's a lot of sucrose there. Um, and that sucrose plays a huge role in those chemical reactions yeah. in terms of not only the Maillard reactions, but also things called fragmentation reactions that create things like acetic acid um, and dehydration reactions that create caramelization products like hydroxymethylferol. Um, and so there's lots of complicated stuff, the sugar. So the idea is like, can we do some kind of de minimis or simple number of assays? And then like say, oh, based on this, we really should do a slow, you know, uh, a slow turnaround time and then like uh, crank it up and then do very fast, yeah. you know, development or, or vice versa or whatever to um, really optimize certain flavors. And that's, that's the long-term goal to like really put roasting on a uh, much more rigorous kind of quantitative uh, way, which I should emphasize exists in many other industries, right. including water or petroleum, but it has historically has never happened in coffee. And I think I should really emphasize that also this is funding that's been provided uh, very generously by Probot. Right. Um, and so you know, Probot manufactures roasters. And so they're yep. very keen on helping advance the state of scientific knowledge about this. And so we're, we're happy for that. And that's just for your listeners who don't understand how academia works. Basically what that financial support does is it helps pay the tuition and the stipend for graduate students to actually do the yeah. research, do the grocery work and all that stuff. And so that's what we're gearing up and doing right now. Yeah, I think that's cool. And so, you know, what I have done over the last few years or, or have been a part of is uh, roasting competitions um, through Coffee Champs and through the SCA. Um, and uh, that has been a great way for me and other roasters um, to learn, um, like you're talking about the sucrose and, and everything else and, and trying to trying to figure out where you can get more sweetness out of the the roast itself to lend to the cup. Um, there's also for roasters out there, the Roasters Guild, which is something the SCA does. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's tons of YouTube and, but those are some standardized um, ways that you can, you can learn a little more. So. Yeah. And those are all phenomenal. Like you know, I want to take it to the next level, uh, really. Yeah. Um, understand on a deeper level um, what I think there's a lot of practical knowledge out there, but I want to have kind of a mechanistic understanding um, from an engineering point of view of how to accomplish certain, you know, target flavor profiles. And that's very challenging because there's about a thousand different flavor molecules in coffee and and they all have different reaction pathways and stuff. So it's, yeah, one thing uh, one thing we talked about or one thing we talk about on Coffee 101 is it's more nuanced than wine. There's just more there's more going on and you and I talked about before the show there's all this investment and all this money and all this time spent looking at wine and we're not knocking wine um but there's a little less there's actually a lot less spent in looking at coffee and we drink a lot more coffee. Um, and so that's what shows like this. And then the research y'all are doing at UC Davis are trying to hopefully bring to light. Stay with us. 
I'm Kenneth Thomas, and you're listening to Coffee 101, brought to you by Humble Coffee. Raise your hand if you're a coffee geek. Okay, you. Yes, you. Right there, listening. Let's be honest. Sometimes you can get derailed by bad coffee. Maybe you have to put a lot of cream and sugar in it, and there's the crash afterwards. Maybe it just tastes terrible, and so you avoid it completely, or at least you drink less of it, or it just puts you in a bad mood because it tastes bad. Just don't do that. Drink some good coffee. I don't care if it's humble coffee or not, but if you do want humble coffee, they are single origin, and they roast to perfection. You can go to humblecoffee.com, or honestly, Find a roaster near you that you really like and drink their coffee. And I think if they're good at what they do, and there are some good roasters and some good coffee companies out there, then you can drink it black and you will enjoy it black. And you'll be able to get more done in the day and your life will be more fulfilling just from a better cup of coffee. So go out there, whether it's Humble Coffee or your favorite roaster, and Get some great coffee. Hey, welcome back to Coffee 101. I'm Kenneth Thomas. Today, we're talking to Bill Ristenpart from UC Davis Coffee Center. We've talked about some of the engineering at the farm level, and some of that stuff just blew my mind. I hope it blew yours. And we're about to talk about a little bit of engineering and roasting. So stick with us, and I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. Anything else on the farm or um, roasting that you want to elaborate on more? Sure. There's lots and lots of unanswered scientific questions about what actually happens in terms of the fermentation for coffee. Okay. So uh, in some sense, the coffee industry right now is where Napa Valley was in the 1950s. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with it, the way they used to inoculate their fermentations for the wine, mm-hmm. just whatever wild type, whatever floated into the into the uh, fermenter, that's that was it. So they didn't do control inoculations. And then UC Davis and many other uh, people in Napa Valley figured out how to really uh, control that process. And so right now, as I'm sure you're aware, there's a huge kind of explosion of interest in like, how do we control that fermentation? And it's a really challenging, even more challenging than the wine guys, because here the fermentation is kind of indirect. It affects the outside of the bean, but then you have some fermentation products uh, can um, uh, permeate across the parchment membrane and get into the bean and then change the, um, you know, uh, precursor molecules, the things that are there yeah. and available to be, you know, reacted during the roasting. And so I say it's more challenging than wine because there the fermentation products, you're directly drinking it. Yeah. So it's a kind of one-to-one correlation. Yeah coffee you're fermenting then it's diffusing into the bean and then it's reacting right right and then you're then you're brewing it so there's many more steps between the fermentation and the final product well so, you know and another thing is um talking about where coffee is compared to wine is i mean it still is like the wild west um i mean it's it's makeshift i mean there there are some some big processing mills um but then there's also some, I mean, it, it, it goes all the way across the board um, as far as uh, uh, the technicalities there. And, and one thing I always think about and, and what we want to do with Coffee 101 is hopefully get the awareness to the point that people think, okay, I want to spend X amount of money on this cup of coffee because it's so good 
mm-hmm. which is where we are with wine, which is where we are with beer, which is where we are with liquor, but we're not there on some aspects or in some cultures with coffee yet. But I think, I think hopefully we're moving there. I sure hope so. Absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, a favorite example of mine is you go to a, a fancy restaurant and they'll have 200 different wines. Yep. Really complicated food menu, lots of desserts. And then at the very end of the menu, they'll have one like coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and yeah. it's like the worst coffee, you know, yeah. that, and, yeah. and I've never understood that. Um, and we work with a couple of, uh, or more than a couple of, of restaurants and, um, um, it, it is a challenge to convince them, Hey, you've got this phenomenal menu. Like, don't forget coffee, you know, I mean, just don't forget it. So you mentioned the wine guys. So there's a whole department of viticulture and enology here at UC Davis. And I have tremendous respect for them. I love them, like they're really experts in wine, but I'll stand up and say things. Actually, guys, it's more complicated to make a good cup of coffee than to make a good bottle of wine. And to them, that's heretical. They know how complicated it is to make a good bottle of wine. So yeah, one time, true. I said that to a, one time I said that after a wine tasting, everybody slightly buzzed and like everybody started laughing and like booing. Uh, but well, I've, but, but I, I, th- I firmly believe it's true. Coffee is more complicated and it's so much more complicated that people don't realize it's complicated. Yeah. That's how much more complicated it is. Yeah, you're right. And, and it's, it's not just on the farm level. It's the, it's on the roasting level and then on the brewing level, um, which we'll get to in season two here on coffee 101. I want to go back just a second and talk about, I'm just fascinated by the whole jelly thing and encouraged that we potentially have something else that the farmer can sell when we in the coffee industry are looking at how do we make things sustainable for everybody as well as the environment um, within the chain. And uh, I mean, if it's 50% of the product and we're throwing it away right now and we can make something out of it, I just, I don't know. I'm just giddy at that thought. That's exciting to me. Also giddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the right word. I mean, like, so we uh, are writing up the paper right now. We're doing some chemical measurements to measure the amount of caffeine and the amount of antioxidants in the jelly. Um, and that's, that's cool. what we kind of need to make a scientific peer review thing. But we've also already made a video yeah. tutorial on how to make it. We made it both in English and, and in Spanish. Um, okay. So is where Where is that video? It's not so. I'm teasing your audience because none of okay. it's available yet. So we're waiting. Well, to so what all. they what yeah. they will have to do is they will have to go into the show notes and they'll have to follow every day or every week or every month. Check in on the UC Davis Coffee Center website um, and see what y'all are doing and see when you put it out. Yeah. So I don't have an exact date, but it's hopefully going to be soon before the summer starts. And so we're, we're recording this right now in April. Yeah. End of April. So hopefully the next month or so we'll have something. And. You know, when you're talking about, um, we were talking, well, we were talking about that, that the cascara itself has the issue of, of it hasn't been sterilized. When you switch it over to using it as a jelly, then it, it, it is sterilized. Yeah, because um, one of the first steps we do is boil correct. the cascara in liquid to extract all the juice yep. um, and then sieve all that, uh, the leftover uh, skins and whatnot out. So it does go through. Yeah, absolutely. You're like, <laughs> it absolutely goes through a kill step. And like, you know, we're making yeah. uh, enough sugar and citrus. So it's shelf stable and all that. Yeah. Uh, no, I just, I just think that's great. I know the answer to this, but tell me what one of the most popular 
freshman classes is at UC Davis? Uh, so since 2013, <laughs> I've been teaching something called the design of coffee and introduction to chemical engineering. And so it's a, it's a three hour per week class, one hour of lecture, two hours of hands-on activities in the undergraduate coffee lab where students get to roast coffee and measure the energy usage, brew coffee, measure the TDS, um, or the total dissolved solids, and do all these kind of cool coffee-centric experiments to learn key scientific and engineering principles. And it culminates in a design competition where the students uh, work in small groups and they compete to make one liter of the best tasting coffee as judged by a blind taste panel using yeah. the least amount of energy. That's so awesome. their final contest score is their blind taste score divided by the kilowatt hours of energy that they use to roast and brew the coffee. And so it's a lot of fun. This year, we're going to have almost uh, 2,000 undergraduate students go through the coffee lab course. That's um, great. So it's uh, um it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's a lot of fun. And what I really like about it is like, you know, a lot of the students stay because they're a little bit curious about coffee and they want to have a fun course, but it serves as a great magnet course. And so I can recruit really talented students, yeah. you know, kind of the yeah. cream of the crop yeah. to come over to the, to the coffee center and do more advanced research. Um, so that's uh, one thing I really love about the class. It's you know, I, I, I think it's great. And I think um, all of what you're doing um, and, and even just as a microcosm, just looking at this class at UC Davis completely falls in line with what we want to see here on Coffee 101, which is especially coffee awareness, and also in line with um, the Specialty Coffee Association and and where Specialty Coffee wants to move towards, which is sustainability and, um, you know, just trying to make everything better for everybody and the environment along all of the chain, um, which includes that, those in the technicals of the energy transfer, um, and, and maximizing all of that. Um, so yeah, I think it's great. Absolutely. So tell me a little more about the actual coffee center there and, um, what y'all are doing and some things that are coming up and some ways that people can help. Absolutely. So uh, the coffee center at UC Davis has a couple different meanings. And in, in one meeting, it's like the collection of professors from all over campus and their students who are interested in coffee. And so I'm, I'm in chemical engineering, but I have colleagues in food science. I have colleagues uh, in sociology. I have colleagues in chemistry, colleagues uh, in uh, the law school. You know, So we have all these different uh, types of intellectual firepower that historically have been like, you know, looking at different things. And what we're doing is training that intellectual firepower on coffee. Yeah. And so that's, in one sense, that's the coffee center. In the second sense is the coffee center is a building. Um, and so right around 2016, uh, Pete's Coffee made a founding gift yeah. to the UCLA Coffee Center to name one of the rooms in a whole building, which just by, you know, by uh, serendipity, uh, emptied out in 2016. Um, and all of a sudden, this, this never happens in academia. Space is always a huge battle. Right, all exactly. of a sudden, it's a building. And my class had been very popular. You know, we're teaching almost almost 2000 students per year go through a, uh, introductory coffee class here on campus. Yeah. Uh, and so the stars is kind of lined. the administration saw there's interest in coffee, uh, was clear from all the interest we're getting from the specialty coffee association and the national coffee association that there's tremendous industrial interest. And so the university basically said, okay, you guys can have a building if you raise money to renovate it. And so since then I've been raising a lot of money, uh, to yeah. raise, we've raised about $4.1 million now. We got a loan from the provost and, we actually just hired that finally <laughs> the pandemic slowed things down a bit, but we just finally hired a design build firm to actually start the renovations and drawing up the construction documents, which is the final step before we actually 
you know, bringing the hammers, start doing stuff. Um, and so we're going to have a ground breaking, you know, kind of shovel ceremony um, in September of this year. And then we're going to have a ribbon cutting ceremony uh, next summer. Um, and there's, I should say for any listeners, if there's somebody out there who's really eager or you represent a company that would be eager to be part of the team, um, we have, uh, I mentioned Pete's, but there's La Marzocco, uh, Toddy, Folgers, um, like lots of uh, um, different individuals um, that have come together to name different rooms in the center. And so yeah. if you you or your colleagues would like to be recognized for your support of coffee research and coffee education, uh, please reach out to me and we'd be happy to have a conversation. Well, Bill, yeah. it's great to have you today. Uh, that's great being on here. And I'm happy to come back and geek out some more. Uh, well, we're going to... We're going to have you back on when we talk about uh, brewing, which will be in season two. So uh, we will see you then. And thanks for coming. Thank you, Kevin. That's all we've got today on Coffee 101. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and I just want to thank you for listening. And usually I do a bunch of lists of things like, you know, follow, leave us a review, all that kind of stuff. Today... I just want to do one thing. I want to charge you with sharing this podcast with a friend. One friend. That's all I'm asking. So think of that friend right now. Think of them. Okay. You've got them in mind. Now text them a link to the podcast or just text them, hey, you need to check this out or just however, you know, send a carrier pigeon to them. Whatever you have to do, but share this with a friend, share it on social media. What we're trying to do with Coffee 101, brought to you by Humble Coffee, is educate on specialty coffee and what coffee can be. And if we can grow that market, then I think, like we talked about on the show today, coffee can be more sustainable and enjoyable for everybody and the environment throughout the whole process. So, Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Love y'all. Peace out.